Dirtos, a stream of consciousness news podcast with Stephen Jackson and Brandon R. Reynolds. Stephen, what's up? You ever had a nap? <laughs> I've taken a nap, yeah. You ever had a nap go wrong? Hell yeah. Yeah. Of course. How did your nap go wrong today, Brandon? Well, it wasn't today, but it was yesterday. And I'm very good at naps. It runs in the family. Okay. And I can usually bang out a shorty like five minutes, seven minutes, yep. ten minutes. Okay. I'm a wizard at it. You know, you fall asleep. Just sort of a little, like a little. Wow. It's like sleep mode on computers, wow. except it's for people, which I guess is just sleep. And the screensaver is like your dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you can even get a dream yep. in that short period of time. Yeah. And, uh, and this one went fine mid-afternoon. And then I woke up and immediately the first thought that was waiting for me was, where am I? No, I knew where I was. I was safely on the couch. No, it was, oh man, when you die, you don't exist anymore. That was what you woke up from a dream with? Woke up right into that, like right into like trapeze wow. act, you know, missed the bar, oh fell God. into the net. And the net was just Dang. the existential abyss. Wow. Like, wait, what? And I, You know, that like childish, like, what does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean if you don't exist anymore? How, how? And I had to like get off the couch and be like, no, we're not doing oh, this. Oh, no, dude. There's a couple things you can do in that situation. Uh, the one that I recommend is that you take what I call a transitional shower. Oh, very so nice. A, yeah. So if you ever have... So this can happen if, if you just got nothing going on in a given day, you need to break it up, kind of have like a part one, part <laughs> sure. two. Just yeah. take a... Even if you took a shower that morning, just take a shower around like 3 p.m. Just kind of breaks up the day. Everything after mm-hmm. that, you got a new change of clothes. You got a whole thing. It's called a transitional shower. Yeah, like a scene change. Yeah, exactly, and it it, yeah. it, it helps with the it helps with the editing in post. Um, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but that transitional shower in this case could also help you sort of wash off the scaries that you experienced upon awakening from your slumber. Now it's sure. funny that you experience this when you nap because for me, I'm have a generally I'd say optimistic. Uh, outlook on the world, wouldn't you say, Brandon? We've known each other yeah, for some time. So. Yeah, yeah, uh, to a fault, some say. I, I, okay, now, okay, <laughs> we'll talk yeah. some. Anyways, Continue. so first of all, I can barely nap, but when I can, I just slip into a hellscape of nightmares immediately. Oh, yeah, okay. Whatever's lurking just beneath the surface of this sort of like very stalwart sense of optimism that i have it's a hieronymus bosch painting just right there and so when i nap i wake up and i think oh thank god i'm not in my dreams anymore Mm, yeah mm -hmm. but when you nap you're like hey this is nice but then you wake up and you're like Mm -hmm. (laughs) the only inevitability in life is death yeah 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 catches up to all of us it does and it actually caught up to a man in the country of iran this month did you just take a transitional shower into our first story? You know what I did? Yeah. And it's actually, uh, just before we get we get going, there is a song that I wrote about it. And it goes, when you reach a certain time of day and there's nothing left to do or say, it's time to take a transitional shower. Amazing. That's I'm glad that, I, glad that I returned <laughs> to that so that you could... <laughs> Almost missed tune it. Tune us up a little bit. But yeah, no, yeah. that was called a transition, my man. Sweet. Do it. Iran. A man died in Iran. Indeed. But not just any man. Mm. A person deemed to be the, quote, world's dirtiest man. 
died this month in Iran at 94. Amu Haji. He did not bathe for half a century. So, you know, 50 some odd years. Uh, he had pretty interesting um, gastronomic proclivities, let's say. He ate roadkill. Porcupines, apparently, were what was on the menu. Uh, he lived in a shack that the villagers in his town built for him. He'd smoke a pipe, according to uh, the Guardian, filled with animal excrement. What was the reason that was offered for why he decided to live this lifestyle? Well, yeah. So uh, the reason why he did not ever bathe was he was afraid of water and soap. He thought that using them would make him sick. He did give an interview back in 2014 to the Tehran Times. He said that he lived this lifestyle due to, quote, emotional setbacks when he was younger. So I'm glad you asked about this because one of the weird parts about this story is that it's sort of offered up as this lighthearted, kind of clickbaity, wacky world of news sort of story. But if you read it, it's super sad. The guy clearly had some kind of traumatic event and lived a very unhealthy, sort of solitary lifestyle. He lived literally in a hole. Um, and his skin was covered with, quote, soot and pus. And, um, you know, he, he ate rotten meat every day and drank unsanitary water. And I think probably one of the reasons why this story really caught like wildfire was because there's a punchline, which is also super messed up, is that a couple months ago, villagers finally con- convinced him to take a bath. And then shortly thereafter, he died. So are those two things necessarily causally related? I don't know. He has, He's 94 years old, right? But because of that little whoop at the end, that makes it really easy for all these media outlets to pick it up and run with it. It's a very nice, concise story with, as you say, the irony is built in. You can drop it into the headline. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you go to a major American city and you'll probably see in the really crappy tourist part of town, a Ripley's, believe it or not, somewhere and this is just a version of that, right? Yeah. Like, it could be the tallest man, could be the hairiest woman, mm-hmm. could be whatever. It's just, we love superlatives. And as far as clickbait goes, we're absolutely yeah. going to click on anything that yeah. says the world's dirtiest man. Yeah. I want to see that. Now. Dies from taking a bath. That's the story. Right. Exactly right. Oh, my God. Being clean killed him. Let's discuss. There's a lot that's worthy of questioning here. First and foremost, the fact that this was covered far and wide, right? Yeah, everywhere. International news. People, everyone wanted a piece. Everyone wanted a piece of this guy. All of this coverage came from a single source, and that source was Iran state media. Uh, Not known to be the most reliable and trusted source of information. Totally. So first question that you should be asking yourself is, why is Iran sharing this? They have a lot of control over their media and... Right now, they're in the middle of these massive protests over the death of a woman that was killed in police custody because she did not wear the requisite headscarf. We are tracking growing protests across the globe over the death of a young woman in Iran. 22-year-old Masa Amini was arrested last week by the country's morality police, accused of not properly wearing her hijab. She died in custody soon afterwards. 
Now the United Nations is another day of protests in Iran. Another day the regime's forces crack down on the masses demanding fundamental human rights. It's unclear exactly how many. The Iranian regime is clearly scared by the scale of these protests which are spreading around the country to every section of society. Groups of lawyers in Tehran, the latest to take to the streets. They're chanting women, life and freedom the signature of these demonstrations. And now the country's youth are rising up. There's these huge protests, unprecedented protests. Men and women are eating lunch together in protest of the laws of the place. Very momentous stuff going on. And so is the state media sharing this, again, Ripley's Believe It or Not level stuff with us to distract us from it? I mean, it's not a positive story. No, I mean, I think that's a really... Good point. We see that happen on Fox News here in America all the time and outlets like that. Anytime there's even the hint of any sort of subversion amongst the public, Fox News suddenly just like starts cranking out these ridiculous stories that are clearly meant to do exactly what you're talking about doing. And the state-run media thing is also a good point to make because everybody took this story, ran with it, put their own little spin on it, whatever. It's not unlike those stories that you see that are clearly just the regurgitations of a press release. Remember those? You know what I'm talking about? Like how sometimes there's just these weird, crazy stories that then like all the journalists and all the outlets get sent via these PR newswires and stuff like that, like a press release. And sometimes it's so weird and ridiculous that you see it pop up across all of these outlets. But it's all still also coming from one source, which is a press release oftentimes written by people with an agenda for the story to get covered. Sure. And when you have journalists who have a daily quota of three or four, eight stories, they got to crank stuff out. So a story gets handed to them like this and they can just turn it around quickly. So to return to the idea that this is Iranian state media, you have to ask the question of why are they putting the story out now? Mm -hmm. Why would they tell a story about Iran that doesn't make Iran look great? Well, I mean, that's clear. The guy died. That's your news hook. That's your news hook. But why that? <laughs> Maybe because they want Iran in the news for something other than yeah, protests, sure. which are naturally dominating the news. So maybe this is their attempt to throw some fresh meat into the news cycle. It mentions Iran in a totally different way that is as weird as it is. It's it's innocuous. Yeah. It's politically neutral. And it doesn't make the country necessarily look bad. It just is weird news for the sake of weird news. And maybe they're hoping that this will somehow... Uh, offset yeah. the other Iran news and push it out. You know, it's like, oh, look over here at this crazy thing so that you're not paying attention to the fact that we've got what is shaping up to be at least a minor revolution on their hands. Yeah, I mean, they're just trying to change the general direction of that water cooler talk about Iran. I think your read of this in terms of the Iranian state media using it as a tool to change the public conversation about Iran at the moment is likely quite accurate because I was having trouble when I first read the story reconciling the fact that it was even a story at all. And two, it's just an example of the man bites dog story. Yeah. Right. Like something unusual has happened. Well, what's unusual? People are usually clean. This guy is dirty. Yeah. Usually filthiness means you're going to live a shorter life. Mm -hmm. He lived a very long life. The irony, of course, being... That when you take a bath, that should make you healthier. In this case, at least according to the way they are bending this story, uh, it may have killed him. So there you go. It's man bites dog. Yeah, it is exactly a man bites dog story. And 
I'm glad you brought up the topic of dogs. I usually will. It's either going to be dogs eventually will come up or the existential horror of taking naps. Yeah. Given long enough, I'm going to bring up one of those. Yep. That and pretzels. Yes. Well, obviously. I love. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) Have I talked to you about how much I love pretzels? Yeah. This has been Journos. Uh, the, uh... Uh, there's another story that's been making the rounds for the first time in the news coming out of the wonderful city of San Francisco. Okay, Brandon, you're a dog owner. I'm a dog owner. We love these dogs. Dog parent or dog companion. Okay. Dog escort. Okay. As, lo- as long as you don't Maybe say- not dog escort. Don't say sounds... dog escort is, has a connotation. No, that's a different thing. As long as you don't call them fur babies, we're cool. Yeah. But so it's dinner time. You, it's, you got your dogs, right? Where's dinner time? For these dogs well usually on the floor between two chairs well, silver bolt whatever not so in san francisco's trendy mission district because for 75 dollars a dog you can take your little canine companion to just a fur baby this is a safe space steven for just the remainder of this episode we can say with impunity fur baby for just $75 a dog, you can take your pup over to a place in the mission called Dog, spelled D-O-G-U-E, kind of like Vogue, and you could get them a real nice meal. It's a dog diner, my man. It's a dog, dog diner. Restaurant. And it's like an, a restaurant. You're right. It's much more of a restaurant than a diner because this place is upscale. It is Tony. It's real weird. It's really weird. Let's be honest. Yeah, but also... Entirely unsurprising. The biggest surprise is how this is only happening now. How we have gone 2,022 years since the birth of Jesus Christ and not previously had a patisserie that serves five or seven course meals, including such things as blue spirulina cake, Mm. chaga mushroom soup, dogachino, chicken skin waffles. And uh, filet mignon steak tartare with, wait for it, a quail egg. The chicken skin waffles looks like perhaps the most revolting thing I've ever seen in my entire life. It looks like that pink matter that they would come out of the tube that they would use to make the nuggets. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's called pink slime. That's what it's an industry term. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's what it looks like. And it's the picture in this article from the Associated Press is a dog sitting in this sort of like super fancy booth. And he's just chowing down on this thing that just looks like brains. And it is, of course, a labradoodle. It is a a a labradoodle. That is true. This is another one of those things where all of the news that's picking up on this, it's the same story. It's the same pictures that were offered up by the PR agency that got this story into the media, right? I'm looking at the same picture of the labradoodle that's chowing down on the pink slime in a piece from the guardian and there it is oh my gosh brandon quote the guardian on a recent sunday dog hosted three fur baby birthday parties simultaneously of course they did you gotta have the catchy sticky stuff okay and i don't just mean pink slime uh <laughs> classically trained french chef rami marsawe is the owner and proprietor of this place mm-hmm along with his wife, Alejandra. And, you know, he had a dog he loved. He fed the dog well. People said, your dog sure looks healthy. And the dog passed away at the age of 12. One thing leads to another. And he said, why don't I offer this up 
in a broader sense. And now you have this fancy restaurant, which breeds a story that we can file under the, I don't know, let them eat cake department. Yeah. And I mean, this is this is serious stuff. Marsawi spends like hours cooking and prepping all this stuff. He told The Guardian that a similar menu for people could cost up to like $500. He's uh, charging 75 Hey, but don't get your hopes up because according to Marsawi, everything's human grade, right? But if you took a bite, you'd probably find it to be a bit bland for your palate. I've done that uh, in that I've gotten, you know, dog treats. Mm. And nowadays they make them with fruit flavors and stuff. So I'm like, I feel like I can eat this yeah. and you and do eat it. And it's like a cookie, but with all the personality drained out of it. Were there no other cookies in the house? You didn't feel like driving? Well, they were farther away than this one. And I was like, I want a cookie. This one's here. Mm-hmm. It's ostensibly blueberry flavored. Yeah. But, you know, it's like it was like a cookie that you felt like was a member of the royal family of cookies. Like it seemed a little vacant, seemed a little bit... A little vapid. Inbred. So did you reach for the dog food after you woke up and realized that death was coming from for you? Nothing and matters. Waits, Nothing waits matters. For no man. Nothing. It's all, it's all just matter. It's all just matter. We're all dog cookies and we're all pink slime at the end of the day, Stephen. Wow. And I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> did you just take a nap? I'm up. And I'm angrier than ever, particularly at the fact that this story even exists. There's something about it that is fantastically tone deaf. And, you know, Stephen, I am not the sort of person who is inclined to quote from outlets like Breitbart. Yeah. But in this case, I feel like they got the headline right. (laughs) Posh restaurant for dogs opens in crime-ridden, drug-addled San Francisco. San Francisco is struggling with a crime wave, open-air drug use, and public defecation. But it recently welcomed the opening of a new posh restaurant for pets. Now, is there crime? Yes. Uh, Is there open-air drug use? Absolutely there is, and public defecation. But they've got an agenda in framing it that way. But they're also right that there's something that's just fundamentally bananas about opening a restaurant for dogs. Like, that's... Yeah. Hey, run that uh, headline back for me again. Sure. Posh Restaurant for Dogs opens in crime-ridden, drug-addled San Francisco. So I think we may have missed here is the poetry in the, of the headline because the writer chose to personify the city of San Francisco itself by referring to it as addled. So it's not the mayor of San Francisco. It's not the board of supervisors. But it is, in fact, the city itself as one macro-organism that is hopelessly addicted to drugs and confused about what to do? Well, it makes these qualities essential to the place rather than something that's afflicting a place, something that is happening to the people. Yeah. It's part of the city's core being is that it's drug addled, <laughs> that it's crime ridden, and that it has posh restaurants for dogs. But also, curiously enough, this is an example of the horseshoe effect, right? Where a political opinion can be so extreme that it bends itself back around yep. and you have left and right meeting. The Breitbart critique is extremely similar to one that you might see from the progressive left, which is saying, I can't believe that the disposable income in San Francisco is such that there's a market for high-priced food for dogs. And given the high cost of real estate, that a restaurant that caters to dogs can exist there Mm -hmm. when you have all of these other issues that are afflicting the city that we should be paying more attention to and are not. So you have a weird synthesis right there at the table with the bon appetit menu of (laughs) left and right's strange value systems sort of coming together in this terrifying, terrifying melange of, I would say, flavors, but 
lack of flavors, I guess. Maybe we could just like tag Breitbart and Mother Jones on Twitter with this article and say, hey, you guys agree on something. Yeah. This is the olive branch. You both think this is grotesque. This might be the change we've been waiting for after all this time. After all this time. And what it makes me realize, and particularly comparing it to the world's dirtiest man story, is so many stories, particularly ones that are clickbait, that are easy to digest, let's say. uh, Like a gourmet cookie for dogs. Like a nice (laughs) cup of dogachino. Yeah, so many of those stories are implicitly class-based stories, right? They present you with a profile of a person or a story about a restaurant opening or a thing happening, and ostensibly it's human interest. But really, it's a statement about class Mm -hmm. and an invitation for you, the reader, to compare yourself to that. Am I better than this person? Am I lesser than this person? How do you view yourself in relation to the protagonists of this story? It's very simple. And it's sort of insidious in that way because it does allow you to frame yourself and to create these relationships and these biases. Yeah. And that's why I think stories like this go viral because they're really easy to snark on. They're really easy to judge as admittedly as we're doing. And (laughs) to a certain degree with really good reason because these are being selected. And as you said, they're kind of like press releases. They're just focusing on the fun stuff like the pun names and all this stuff and not thinking about larger contexts. Yeah, maybe that's because we've all internalized this classism so deeply. We're drawn to these stories because we're immediately going to compare ourselves either up or down to the, as you said, protagonists in the story. So these stories help to further reinforce these classist norms that we all sort of subscribe to most of the time unwittingly. Yeah, it's like drive-by class assessments, right? Like you drive by and on the one hand, you're like, I'm glad I don't have to eat roadkill porcupine. But on the other, I'm envious of the dogs that are rich enough to eat filet mignon. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, that's that's just sort of the nature of these stories. It captures these kind of base feelings of resentment and greed and hatred and all of that stuff. And so you see these stories and they kind of function the same way that social media does, right? It stirs up really kind of base negative emotions and that's what makes you respond to them and that's what makes you feel drawn to them. And this is actually a really common species of story, right? Like every celebrity story where the celebrity is coming out of a Dunkin' Donuts or going into rehab or whatever it is, all the kind of minutiae of their lives is one of these class-based stories where we compare ourselves against them. You know, how do you measure up? Totally. It's like Us Weekly. Stars, they're just like us. Like, everybody always wants to see the supermodel looking frumpy, right? Because it's this sort of equalizing story. It's funny that there's these stories where it's celebrities doing regular stuff is interesting. But of course, we all love rich people behaving badly stories as well. Yeah, definitely. But just in general, that idea of throwing those inane stories out there and asking what you think about them, implicitly asking Mm -hmm. what you think about them. Because that's the other takeaway about these stories. As we're talking about them, we've spent a number of minutes talking about both of these stories. 
But that belies the fact that there's actually no content to these stories, just like there's no content to the celebrity stories. They're not really about anything, right? Yeah. Like there's, there's nothing there. Everything can be contained in the headline. A good version of the Dirtiest Man story would be one that looks at the village or that looks at Iranian society in general, that asks questions about how did this guy get here and what does it say about the mm-hmm. way that people supported him or didn't. Like, There's an interesting story around that. But we're not getting it because you're focusing on the salacious thing. Similarly, with the dog restaurant, there's a lot that you can talk about, about how the dog restaurant fits into San Francisco's social life. And ironically, again, the Breitbart headline sort of touches on what might be an interesting story, but then obviously just chokes on its own bile (laughs) of resentment and, and horror at it and doesn't actually say anything really interesting. They just sort of exist out there. You can still get something out of them if you ask yourself the question of, okay, well, why was this story even published? Why are we even drawn to something that has so little sustenance to it? And the answer for that, I think, is your point about it causes us to reflect on our own internalized ideas about class in society. But in really base ways, again, like you don't necessarily learn enough to reevaluate your perception of the world or to understand things more completely. You just have this little snapshot. It's like a little, Mm -hmm. it's like a spotlight on this one moment, but without any of the context illuminated around it. So again, you don't really know how it measures up. So the only thing you can compare it to is your own life. Well, I don't live in a hole, therefore I'm better than that guy. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not going to take my dogs to a restaurant. So either I'm poorer than, or I am, you know, morally better because I'm not going to do that. But there's nothing really substantive of it. And in fact, I would say maybe there's a journo's rule of journalism here, which is any time the entire story can be told in the headline, (laughs) it's probably just a class story. That's pretty good. It's probably just a story that's trying to evoke some kind of strong emotion so that you'll go away pissed off or self-congratulatory or whatever. Yeah. Well, so then what's the fix? Should these stories not be published? That's a good question. Should they not be published? Should we have less content? Because a lot of this is the you know processed foods of media. And that's the stuff that in an older version of the internet, that was the thing that got people clicking through. That's what made it clickbait. And so that was what advertisers would get on there to get next to. So yeah, I mean, what you're asking is, should there be a new model for journalism and for the kind of stories that go on the internet? And the answer is, yeah, probably. I mean, you know, yeah. But that would require a different financial model where the goal is not maximum output, but rather something that's a little bit more robust and interesting, which is also sort of the conversation around Twitter now and what its future is going to be. And what better time to announce the Journo subscription service for just $30 a month? (laughs) And not to bat this back and forth too much, there is the hypothesis that Iranian state-run media put this clickbaity story out into the water to sort of chum the ocean on purpose. So then that's a kind of a different layer than, look at these rich assholes in San Francisco, you know, taking their dogs out to Michelin star restaurants. Well, again, Iranian state media just put the story out there and then everybody picked it up, right? Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, American media, Western media took the bait yeah. on the left and the right. And was like, this is a story that's going to get eyeballs. So 
you know, if you believe that Iranian media put it out there to create static in the media landscape, then they succeeded. They succeeded by playing off of the cynicism that is inherent in the way that modern news is made, which is to find these stories that they know are going to arouse these base emotions and get us talking about that instead of about more important stuff. Mm-hmm. They got us. They got us again. But, but also it's like... <sighs> You just not read the thing. It's only going to take you 20 seconds, right? I don't know. That's, that, that, this brings up the point if this stuff should not be, even be out there at all. Am I worse off for having read that? For sure you are. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. we wouldn't be here today talking about it. This is the problem. Steven, we're, <laughs> we're, just, we're just built on a pile of roadkill. That's all. And the crushed dreams of many dog restaurants before. Yeah. Well, on that note... <laughs> This has been Chernos, a tasting menu of stories. The strange and unusual, the stupid, uh, and the slightly less stupid. Yeah, man, it's been great. Although now uh, we're wrapping things up, I don't really know what to do. I'm kind of feeling, uh, I don't know, just sort of confused with where I'm at in the day. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. You know what it's time for? Yes, I do. Yeah. Oh. Steven... When you reach a certain time of day, sure. and there's nothing left to do with Steven. Uh, I'm Brandon R. Reynolds. And I'm Steven Jackson. Oh, Steven.